I was at a um, leaving do for, I think it was Albert Bernard. Albert is going to start a new job in Dubai. So we were eating some Nigerian food. And my appetite was up. And I went for it. But the food is hot. <laughs> and lovely. And nice. And soft. I can't do hot and hard. But <laughs> Nigerians will understand that. However, my throat... Too much pepper there. So I, I kind of struggled this morning, thinking, oh, Lord, my throat. I should have just ate less food. Anyway, be that as it may, let's kind of get into this. So it's the last Sunday of 2012. And it's been a great year, I think, in terms of sporting success. You know, we've all enjoyed the Olympics. Well, I was an athlete myself many years ago. I know you may find that hard to believe, but it's true. <laughs> And I enjoyed the Olympics, and I think there's no doubt about it, the positive effects it had on our nation because we hosted the Olympics. However, it's also been a year when we, many of us have been impacted by a recession. Words like austerity, redundancy, receivership have been used by both the politicians and business leaders as they assess the economy. We've had to tighten our belts, do more with less. However, this morning, as we stand at the cusp of the new year, what is God's view of his world? What is his perspective? There's plenty for everyone. There's plenty for everyone. That's God's perspective. John Wimber, who's the founder, founding leader of the Vineyard Movement, of which we're a part, he put it like this. There's plenty of mercy for sinners. There's plenty of healing for the broken. And there's plenty of love for the outcast. There's plenty for everybody. Irrespective of the negative economic outcast or forecast of the year, God's perspective is this. In his kingdom, there's plenty of mercy for sinners, there's plenty of healing for the broken, and there's plenty of love for the outcast. Oops, those are our three points. So let's look at them. Plenty of mercy for sinners. Come with me now to John chapter 8. Here's the scene. Jesus went down to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses... It's commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, 
those who heard it began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. I've got some questions for you to consider as we look at this passage. The first one, what are we involved in that we think there is not enough of the Father's mercy to cover? What are we involved in that we think there is not enough of the Father's mercy to cover? And here's the second one. What are the issues, behaviors, or attitudes that if we bring them into the light, we're afraid of the shame and condemnation that may come upon us? Friends, I was talking just on Christmas Eve. We, we had the service here and we brought some people over from the YMCA. There's a young woman there who had some distress and some difficulties. And in fact, they tried to take a life. Anyway, dropped her back at the YMCA, not just her, but the, the other folk. And it was obvious to me that I wasn't able to just drive off. She wanted to talk. So we began to talk and we prayed and the Lord came and ministered his mercy and grace to her. But there was something that she wanted to share, but she was ashamed and afraid to share it. And I knew why, because she didn't think there was enough mercy to cover what she was about to share. And it wasn't appropriate to share it at that time. But I knew she was asking, is there enough mercy? Is there enough grace? But here's the father's response. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive what? Mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever the shame, the father says come to the throne of grace that you might receive mercy and grace for your time of need. And this is why you can come. Because in Isaiah it says this. He was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was put upon who? Jesus. You can come because Jesus has taken the pain, and the shame. You can come and receive mercy for your time of need because Jesus has taken the pain and the shame. Paul put it like this. He says, when you were dead in your sins and the transgressions of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having counseled out the written code with its regulations. 
that was against us, that was opposed to us. What that means is all the things that you had done, there was a sheet and it was all on there. And you were in serious debt. But he's taken it away. Why? Because he's nailed it to a cross. Having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Friends, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever the pain, whatever the shame, this baby Jesus, who he celebrated his birth, he went to Calvary on a cross. And there, your sin and my sin was nailed there to that cross. His blood was shed for your sin and my sin. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might be able to have a right relationship with God. Friends, there's mercy because what Jesus has done. And I don't know where you are. You may not even know Jesus, but let me tell you, there's mercy in the house because of what Jesus has done at Calvary. And you can come. And there's plenty of mercy for whatever situation or circumstance you have been in. Whatever pain or shame that has come upon you, there's mercy. Thank you, Lord. Because mercy will always triumph over judgment because Jesus has taken the judgment for us. Amen. Amen. There's plenty of mercy. There's plenty of healing for the broken. And this scripture, Chris was, if, you didn't, if we didn't get a preach this morning, you would have got it because this is the scripture here. Isaiah 61, 1 to 3, which Chris was reading out this morning. The spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach what? Good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I believe that was a prophetic word to us as a church. The Lord's favor in 2000, 25 years. And a day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty, Instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Let me explain here. When God restores you to what you should be, you will walk with an poise. You will walk, would have, have stature. You will have confidence because of what God has done in you. Amen. Amen. That's his plan. The good news of the kingdom of God is that God not only deals with the sins that we have committed, but also the effects of the sins that have been committed against us. Thank you. Sins such as betrayal, neglect, Abandonment, rejection, abuse, physical, verbal, or sexual. God not only deals with your sin, but the effects of the sins that have been done to you, that have caused you to try and self-medicate in ways that may well be addictive. 
and self-destructive. But there's healing. There's healing in God's house. And there's plenty for everyone. So how does he do it? This is how it works. Well, I'll speak from my own experience. What happens is this. You realize that you've lost your voice. You grew up in a home where your father, he spoke, and when he spoke, everybody kept quiet. And you never really got the opportunity to express your opinion. So as you come into adult life, when someone says something that you know it's wrong, you keep quiet. And then the Spirit of God comes on you and you realize that you have a voice. And you've allowed people to cross your boundaries and speak things into your life that are not from God. And you've kept quiet. And the Holy Spirit speaks to you and shows you that that's not right, that you have a voice, that you are allowed to speak. So you bring it before God and you say, oh Lord, I confess that I've been silent because I've been in fear of man. I've lost my voice. I come before you and Lord, I ask you that you would forgive me for not speaking up, that you would have mercy on me. And in that moment, God comes and you receive his forgiveness. Let me just put a parenthetical statement in here. Sometimes, I know for me, that I usually have to, I ring up Derek and I'll talk through it with him. Good friend, and pray through it with him. So sometimes it's good to do it with someone. Anyway, he helps us to confess and receive forgiveness and cleansing. And so we receive his cleansing. 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But here's the next stage. The Holy Spirit communicates to us his love and comfort the love and comfort of the Father. And here's the space between the revelation, between the confession and receiving forgiveness, Romans 5, 5. The love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And how it happens for me is I experience the presence of God. You've experienced it this morning. For some of you, I know for me, when I experience God's presence, particularly in those tender moments, I'm tearful. I, I just sense his nearness. I sense his comfort. I sense him pouring in oil and wine into that area in my life where I'm vulnerable and where I need his help. And then the next stage now is he begins to bring back to life and puts me in situations where I have to speak up. And I have to learn to stand my ground instead of giving way. Is that helpful? And that's how it is. That's the journey. That's the healing that's taking place. And what what I find now is God puts me in situations where I have to speak up. And part of the healing is learning to speak up. And usually I speak up and I'll get back to Derek or I'll talk with Linda and say, da-da-da-da-da. And particularly Linda, because she knows these things more so than myself. She'll go, oh, great, great, fantastic. I think, what have I done? No, you've made ground. 
You've spoken up. That's how it works. So there's plenty of healing for everyone. And look, we're going to have a ministry time. I'm signposting it now. Because God spoke to me very clearly about this message and he said this. He says, tell my people that I want them to know that I'm a God who gives in good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. And I don't want you to take any stuff into the new year that you don't need to take. Because whatever it is that you need, if it's mercy, you can receive it today. If it's healing, you can receive it today. So I'm going to, later on, we're going to have a ministry time. You know, whatever ministry team that's here, you guys be ready to do some stuff. We're going to allow God, I'm going to make space here for God just to minister his abundance to you. Because that's what he told me to do. And finally, there's plenty of love for the outcast. Psalm 98 says, 68 verse 6 says this. God sets the lonely in families. Another version says, God sets the desolate in a homeland. You know what? God loves the outcasts. The desolate. And his plan is always to bring you home. And that's why we say, welcome home. And if you feel desolate, if you feel lonely, and you're here this morning, we'd like to say to you, welcome home. I think it was Mother Teresa said, the scourge of the modern age is loneliness. Thank God for all those people who gave up their time on Christmas Day to serve people who are lonely. Amen. I think I was down at the YMCA there in, the, in Hatfield, and a little lady came up. And she says, oh, I suppose I'll just have to spend Christmas down on my own. doesn't matter. So I said, okay. I just got on the phone, rang up. I said, if there's a space, you can come. And one of the ministers out there on Christmas Day got the message and came and brought, I think it was the name of Sharon here, and she wasn't on her own. God designed us for community. I always say to Chris, aren't you glad we don't have to do this on our own? You know, one of the things that John Wimber brought to the vineyard, and I was reading the article by Sandy Miller. He said this, John Wimber taught us about two things about God, intimacy with him and intimacy with each other. Why do you think we have programs like Restore? Because they do two things. They help us to be intimate with God and intimate with each other, i.e. transparent, vulnerable, pray for one another. So it becomes a safe place. So there's plenty of love for the outcast because here you receive the four things that we all need. Affirmation. You're my beloved daughter. You're my beloved son with whom I am well placed. For who and why are you affirmed? Not for what you've achieved. We were discussing last night, you know, parents from Afro-Caribbean and African background and Asian background, you know, the goal was that when you, if you're a child of them, theirs, or, is that you become an engineer, or you become a lawyer, or you become a doctor. And if you're not one of those, you don't exist. 
the goal was education. So, and part of it is obviously so that they can tell the uncles and aunties, oh, what is this? Oh, he's a doctor, you know, he's a lawyer, etc. No. God affirms you not because of what you've achieved. Some of you are laughing, you know what I'm saying, yeah? yeah. God affirms you for who you are. Preaching is what I do, but it's not who I am. Pastoring is what I do, but it's not what I am. I am first and foremost a son. And you are sons and daughters of the living God. And God affirms you always on the basis of who you are. Yes, you'll preach great sermons. Yes, you'll lead great churches. Yes, you'll do mighty things. But first and foremost, don't live out your gifting. Lift out of who you are, a son. Because whether you do good or whether you do bad, Father affirms you for who you are. You're not as good. You're not you know, as good as your last sermon or your last, last thing that you did. No. His affection. So I know I'm loved and can share my feelings. In other words, this is a safe place. And when I was speaking to the young lady, she came here and she, and she said to me, I said to her, this is, feels safe, doesn't it? She said, yes, it does. This is a safe place. You have his attention. So I know I'm being seen and understood for who I am. And friends, it's not just a matter of being seen. It's also making yourself known. See, you can go to, you, if you like religion, religion, you don't have to make yourself known. You are doing your duty. And some people find some measure of intimacy in that. And that's cool. But here, we're looking to have an intimate relationship with Jesus and produce an environment where people feel safe to be who they are and they know they will be understood and not judged. Finally, advocacy. I am worth defending. You know, you're worth defending because God gave his only begotten son for you. That son, Jesus, now sits at the right hand of the father and he ever lives to make intercession for you. He's your advocate before God. You're worth defending. You're precious. In my daily readings, I came to this psalm, and I'm going to close with this, and then we'll have some ministry time here. Uh, could a band come? <laughs> I'm going to finish with this. Psalm 65, verse 11. This is what the Father wants. To crown the year with your goodness. That's his goodness. And your past to drip with abundance. He wants to crown this year with his goodness to you. He wants you to taste and see that the Lord is good. He does not want you to take anything into the new year that you don't have to take. Because there's plenty, there's plenty of mercy. There's plenty of healing. There's plenty of love for us all. And as we go into 2013, I want you to remember that. That there's plenty for everybody. That, you know, the vineyard, John Wimber said, he said, it exists so people might know that in the kingdom of God, there's plenty for everybody.
What do you need this morning? Is it mercy? Is it love? Is it healing? You don't have to leave here this morning without it. So should we stand? And could the, the ministry team folk just go over to the side there? You know, God is such a good God. I know that, you know, as I reflect with Chris on this year, we've had tough times, but we've had good times. We've seen God do things that are above and beyond that which we could ask or think. God is good all the time. And you know what, friends? He's good not because he turns up, because he's God. What I'm going to do, well, you know who you are. Some of you, you know you need mercy. Maybe you don't know this Jesus who we're talking about. And you need to come and receive his mercy and grace. And whatever you've done, doesn't matter how terrible it is, Jesus will offer you mercy and cleanse you from the power of it and the effect of it. So if that's you, you can come forward. For some of you, you've got a broken heart. And Jesus wants to come and start to heal some of that brokenness. So that's you, you come forward. And for some of you, you're on the outside looking in. You're outcast. You feel it inside. And God wants to bring you home. And he wants to put his arms around you. And he wants to minister his life and his love and his light into your life. And if that's you, come forward. So, this is your moment. There's grace and there's mercy in God's house. So, come now. This isn't about me, this is about you. We have folk down here who will pray a blessing on you and just minister God's life to you. As we stand on the cusp of a new year, the Lord wants to say there's plenty for everyone. Is it mercy? Come. If it's grace, come. If it's healing, come. Because there's plenty for everyone. You don't have to go into the new year carrying stuff because there's plenty for everyone. We guess the Holy Spirit is already here because we've invited him. But we're going to do it now. And those, the ministry team will come and minister to you. Those of you who need to pick your kids up, etc., will release you to do that and get yourself a cup of coffee. But let, let me just say, if it's more important for you to be here then pick up your kids, get someone to do that so you can come here and get what Father has for you today. We've also got some words here. Someone with a slip disc. Yeah, someone with a damage to their foot and a damage to a man's right elbow. 
and a woman with a burn on her arm. If any of those resonate with you, come forward for that. Father, we bless you that you are here now. Lord, on those, Lord, who are standing here who have come, Lord, we thank you that you say that if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give you the Holy Spirit? So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and minister your life and your liberty to your people. And Lord, for those who have been cast down, those who have been oppressed, Lord, may they be freed in the name of Jesus. May they know a, spirit, a garland of praise and a spirit of heaviness. May this be a time where they step out and step in to what God has for them. Bless your name.